Okay, today's episode is going to be a little bit different than normal. Oh, snap, one second. <laughs> what is going on? I had to turn off my fan. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Okay, yeah. Um, today's episode is different. Because I had to help my landlord fix my kitchen. So my story is, you know, it's in the process. <laughs> be what it be. But I still wanted to, you know, do something and see my friend's face because, you know, I miss her. Hello. <laughs> Even though we too. totally talked this week, which was, <gasps> Aww. What, uh, I did see you this week though on Facetime because you did something special. <laughs> yeah. Did I Facetime you after the movie? Yeah, you did. Uh huh. Oh, okay. Well, so. My- you don't even remember? It's because I wanted to see your uh, your outfit because you look That's super cute. right. So this past week, the My Hero Academia movie came out and I went to a, the movie theater an hour away to see it by myself and enjoyed <laughs> the hell out of myself. Yeah, self-love. It was so good. Self-care. When I say I cried in the theater, I'm not even joking. Yeah. And she was texting me the entire time. Kids don't do that. Well, I had the brightness <laughs> all the, the way down. And we were in one of the fancy theaters where, like, if you weren't in the same row as yeah. someone, you couldn't see their phones or anything. Yeah. So I was secret texting Sarah everything. So unless everything. you're in a fancy theater, you were a spy. You were, like, undercover. Basically. So, um. Yeah. That... Ooh, I have a picture I was going to send you, but I wanted to warn you about it first. Um, Why? Because it's a picture from the movie. Oh, is it a beautiful face? I I love beautiful faces. (laughs) I'm going to send it to you. Okay. Because it's pretty freaking good. Here we go. Wow. That's a good shot. How did you get that photo? Oh, I didn't take that. <laughs> oh, okay, you looked it up. Well, I saw it online, and then I was like, Sarah needs to see this picture. They look exactly the same. One is just taller They're and super orange, Saiyan. and the other one is teal. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like uh, that happened. Sarah, you've been doing midterms. How did that go? It came and it went. I mean, technically, I still have two more due. I have one due during spring break on Tuesday. Uh, Don't you love that? <laughs> oof. I love, I, I love grad school. Can't <laughs> you tell? Um, and then I have another one after spring break. Right. Yay. Welcome back. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. (laughs) It's been a wild trip. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of trips, where are you going for spring break? I am going to Canada in Montreal. Canada. Um, I'm jealous. Oh, Canada. Yeah, I'm excited. And then my parents are coming to visit me on the Wednesday, on hump day. Fun, fun, yeah. all the way to Baston. They're tr- I know, they're traveling during this time, so just keep them in your thoughts and prayers. Um, this doesn't have to go in the podcast, but your mom was super excited that your dad actually bought a pair of jeans. <laughs> I mean, yeah, fair. <laughs> Yeah, um, 
she was telling the teachers at the school how he doesn't wear short, or like he doesn't wear pants and he doesn't wear like longer shorts. He only wears the short shorts because if they're longer than short shorts, then they're just short pants. I hear hunk coming. So one second. Baby, okay. what's up, mister? You are so loud. I'm taking your collar from you. Give me this. It's his feet. Get into bed. Get into bed. Get into bed. Go. Get into bed, Huck. Come here. Up. Oh. Sit. Good boy. Hi, mister. I'm back. Welcome back. Thank you. You've been expecting. Oh. Uh, where are you going for the breaks of spring? I am first. I'm actually leaving tomorrow and we're going to Houston and we're going to an escape room that I'm super excited about. And then we are going to, I believe we're going to NASA on Sunday, which I've never been. Really? That'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. And then... Yeah, the next day we're going to the Houston Museum of Natural Science, which I love. Mm-hmm. And then we're coming back, and I'm getting new furniture. Really? You're getting new furniture? I didn't know that. Yeah, my stepmom's giving me the their old stuff because she's getting new stuff, and she just got it cleaned. That's really nice. Yeah, it's very nice. So I'm going to be doing that. Um, that's all I have planned so far, but... I'm probably going to do stuff around the house, try to get it all housed up mm-hmm. still. But that's I'm it. excited to see the new furniture and stuff. Yeah, me too. It is a shame that you're not going to Ikea to get all of your furniture, only because I would ask you... Oh, sorry. I just like hit rocks on my desk. Uh, <laughs> I've never been to an Ikea, so I would ask you to film it. And because my friend went to Ikea, apparently it is like a maze. Oh, it and is. And I feel like, I feel like there's a gateway to Narnia in there. And he added, but it would be the Swedish Narnia with flying meatballs and <laughs> like all other stereotypes mm-hmm. of the Swedes. And I feel like that would be the best Narnia to ever go to. Yes. As long as they had vegan meatball (laughs) so listen i love ikea and we've talked about going while we're down there um did you know i went to a first date at ikea once you went to a first date at ikea (laughs) yes it was pretty great (laughs) (laughs) i mean there are worst first dates i'm personally not a fan of furniture shopping i mean me neither we were just screwing around and that wasn't our planned first date our planned first date was to um go on a ghost tour around houston which i did end up going to but he uh he was a truck driver and he didn't come into houston until later due to like stops and truck problems with his actual like rig so uh, it took longer for him to get there. So he didn't make the ghost tour, which me and my mom and my aunt went on, and it was a lot of fun. So we met up, and we went to IHOP and Ikea, and it was actually a lot of fun, even though things did not work out with him. You needed to add just a couple more things in there that started with the word I, and that would have been great. <laughs> yeah, right, right? We had a plan. So if we go to Ikea, I'm going to FaceTime you. Yes, you have to, because I've never seen it. <laughs> it's pretty, it's big. Since this is a, like a bonus episode, a bonus Jonas, a Frankie episode. <laughs> Can we please call it that? Yes. Um, okay, good. Who should go first? We're just gonna, tell them what we're doing. Okay, so we are, well, the first thing that we were supposed to do was tell you about our spring break. You know, you're our friends. We got to let you know what we're doing. And then we were going to find our favorite scary story or tell one of our personal favorite scary stories as just the Frankie episode. Sorry, that was a train. <laughs> <laughs> but 
it's just a little fun tidbit into our really messed up personalities of liking really creepy things oof (laughs) but i mean i'm sure that you also out there like creepy things because how could you not it's cool i don't know why it's creepy (laughs) so who's gonna go first you or me um hmm. should we do rock paper scissors sure okay rock Rock, paper scissors (laughs) Do we need to redo it? That's so funny. <laughs> uh-huh. Rock. Rock. Paper. Paper. Scissors. Uh, I have rock. You have okay. scissors. So I win. Go ahead. Okay. So I am doing the disappearance of Ashley, Kansas. Uh, this is a creepypasta that was posted on reddit no sleep in april 2012 (laughs) okay so uh it was posted by coaster kid 93 and i know that especially towards the end of all of the comment section there were a lot of people who were like taking people's work and taking credit for it is illegal and the the author was like, yeah, I know, so don't do it, because I wrote it, and I posted it on both Creepypasta and Reddit. (laughs) And they were like, oh, my bad, I'm sorry, this is a really good story, you know. So it was written by CoasterKid93, for anyone who doesn't believe it. Well, that's sad. So I'll just hop and skip right into it. So, sometime during the night of August 16th, 1952, the small town of Ashley, Kansas, ceased to exist. At 3.28 a.m. on August 17th, 1952, a magnitude 7.9 earthquake was measured by the United States Geological Survey. The earthquake itself was felt throughout the state and most of the Midwest. The epicenter was determined to be directly under Ashley, Kansas. When state law enforcement arrived at what should have been the outskirts of the farming community, they found a smoldering, burning fissure in the earth measuring 1,000 yards in length and approximately 500 yards in width. The depth of the fissure was never determined. After 12 years, the statewide and local search for the missing 679 residents of Ashley, Kansas was called off by the Kansas state government at 9.15 p.m. on the night of August 29th, 1952. So the whole town went missing? All 679 residents were assumed to be dead. At 2.27 a.m. on August 30th, 1952, a magnitude of 7.5 earthquake was measured by the United States Geological Survey. The epicenter was situated under what used to be the location of Ashley, Kansas. When law enforcement investigated at 5.32 a.m., they reported that the fissure in the earth had been closed. In the eight days leading up to the disappearance of the town and its 679 residents, bizarre and unexplained events were reported by dozens of residents in Ashley, Kansas, and law enforcement from the surrounding areas. On the evening of August 8, 1952, at 7.13 p.m., a resident by the name of Gabriel Jonathan reported a strange sight, and it was located in the sky right above Ashley. The town itself, having no official branch of law enforcement, called into the police station of the neighboring town of Hayes. Gabriel reported what appeared to be a small, black opening in the sky. Mm-mm. Within the next 15 minutes, the Hayes police station became overwhelmed with dozens of phone calls, all reporting the same phenomenon. The phenomenon was never reported by any neighboring communities. A decision was made to send a trooper to Ashley to investigate the matter the following morning. At 7.54 a.m. on the morning of August 9, 1952, Hayes police officer Alan Mace radioed to Hayes police station. He reported that, despite the following on the one-way road leading into Ashley, he had become lost. According to this report, 
The road continued along its normal path, but somehow ended back up in haze. Officer Mace went on to add that the road had never curved or bent in any direction. At 9.15 a.m., seven of the town's ten police cars were set to investigate the situation, and all members of the team came to the same conclusion. The only road leading into Ashley stopped, leading into Ashley, but instead led back to Hayes. Phone calls continued to pour into the Hayes police station, all reporting that the black opening in the sky continued to grow in size. All callers were advised to remain inside and not travel outside unless absolutely necessary. At 8.17 p.m., Miss Elaine Cantor reported her neighbors, Mr. and Miss Milton, and their two children, Jeffrey and Brooke, missing. According to Miss Cantor's phone call, the Miltons attempted to leave town in their family car early in the evening. They never returned. Mm. Law enforcement officials from Hayes never reported the car or individuals coming up the one-way road. At 7.38 a.m. on the morning of August 10, 1952, phone calls from Ashley into the Hayes police station reported that the town was in total darkness. The sun had never risen. At 10.15 a.m., at the request of Hayes law enforcement, a helicopter sent from Topeka, Kansas, flew over the region in which Ashley, Kansas stood. The town was never observed from the air. At 12.43 a.m. on the afternoon of August 11th, 1952, Miss Phoebe Delensky called into the Hayes police station. She reported that her daughter, Erica, had begun to have conversations with her father, who died three years prior in a drunk driving accident. Mm. To add to her concern, Miss Danileski, yes, reported that Erica was attempting to go outside into the dark to join them. Over the course of the next 12 hours, a reported 329 phone calls were placed into the Hayes police station, all describing similar phenomenons with their children of the town. The following morning of August 12, 1952, the situation became dire. During the middle of the night, all 217 children in the town of Ashley, Kansas, disappeared. A reported 421 phone calls were placed into the Hayes police department. Unable to be of any useful assistance, Hayes law enforcement instructed all callers to remain inside and avoid any and all attempts at finding the missing children. Oh my goodness. At 5.19 p.m. on the evening of August 13, 1952, Ashley's elderly man, Scott Luntz, reported a growing distant fire to the south. According to his description, the fire seemed to turn the distant black into bright red and orange that seemed to extend high into the sky. Throughout the rest of the day, calls continued in stating that the fire, in addition to moving north, now seemed to come out of the black sky. No fire was ever witnessed by any of the neighboring communities or law enforcement officials. The reports continued until 12.09 a.m. on the morning of August 14, 1952. The last phone call, placed by Mr. Benjamin Etiquette, reported that the fire in the sky had grown so intense that it began to appear as daytime over the town. The phone call ended abruptly, in parentheses, from the phone call placed by Benjamin Sherman Etiquette. And this is the phone call. Can I cut in real quick? Hmm. This town just sounds like Night Vale. Night Vale? There's a podcast called Welcome to Night Vale. It's very popular. And this just sounds like Night Vale. <laughs> I mean, it might have gotten inspiration from this story. It's really famous. Yeah. Or maybe the author of this um, story is involved with the podcast. Maybe so, because Night Vale's been out for like, I don't know, like 10 years or something. Well, this was written in 2012. Let me see. I actually have Nightville on here. Oh, this came out in 2012, too. So it might be from the same author. Or... Or they got inspo. Yeah, or there's something similar, like they... Collabed. Or just had inspiration from each other, because that's what Nightville is about. It's about a town that has all this weird stuff going on. Yeah. That's interesting. That's cool. It's in the same that year. Makes sense. Anyways, you can keep going. So this is the phone call between the police department of Hayes and Benjamin Sherman etiquette. 
Benjamin. Just hold on. Wait. Continued silence. Benjamin. Yeah, yeah, I see something. It's to the south, it looks like. End of phone call. The next phone call wouldn't be placed until the following evening. The following is the entire transcript of the final phone call to be received by the Hayes Police Department out of the town of Ashley, Kansas. It was placed at 9.46 p.m. on the evening of August 15, 1952. In this recorded phone call, the officer on duty is Officer Peter Welsh. The caller has been identified as Miss April Foster. Officer Welsh. Hayes Police Department. Muffled static. Hello? Officer. Yes, hello, ma'am. Who am I speaking with? Foster. My name is April. April Foster. Please, sir, please help me. Officer Welsh. What's happening, ma'am? The train. The train the is The train finished. happened! <laughs> <laughs> Officer Welsh. What is happening, ma'am? Foster. Last night. Last last night, they, they came back. Ugh. Officer Welsh, ma'am, I'm gonna, I'm gonna need you to, last night they came back. Ma'am, I'm gonna need you to calm down and speak clearly. What happened? Who came back? Everyone. Ooh, that's not what I thought. They all came in the fire. What do you mean, everyone? My son. I saw my son last night. He was walking. He was walking down the street. He was burned. Jesus Christ. He was burned. Ma'am, I... He died last year. I raised him since he was a baby. It was just me and him. I told him to watch for cars when he rode his bike, but he would never listen. Ma'am, what are you saying? It isn't making any sense. You said everyone came back. Oh, that's expected. <clears throat> Are you effing kidding me? Everyone, everyone came back. Everyone who died went missing. They're back, and they're looking for us. He said, Mommy, I'm okay now. See, I am walking. Where are you, Mommy? I want to see you. <laughs> no. Ma'am, where are you now? Are you safe? I'm hiding, just like everyone else. We saw them coming from the fields, and some people opened their doors for them. God, the screaming. I don't know what happened to them, but their houses caught fire, and they caved in. I have my curtains drawn. I'm hiding in the closet right now, and... Ma'am, is everything all right? Are you okay? Ma'am? Ma'am? Then there's, like, glass breaking. I can't make that noise. (laughs) Oh? Uh Oh? Oh my gosh. Ma'am, something just came in. Ma'am, stay as quiet as you can. Don't make a sound. Mommy? (laughs) Mommy? He came inside. Stay absolutely still. Don't leave. Your Foley work is impressive. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Mommy? Mommy, where are you hiding? Stay quiet. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Oof. I'm getting the chills and I'm reading the story. I need a baby laughing. Can you do that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I'll just, whatever. Just edit one in. I found you, mommy. Oh, no. (laughs) And then screaming, which I can't do because I'm in an apartment. (laughs) Ma'am? Ma'am! End of phone call. Mm-mm. Nope, nope. The f- Mm-mm. 
The following morning, at 6.55 a.m., the law enforcement officials of Hayes Police Department arrived at the location of Ashley, Kansas. A smoldering, burning fissure in the earth was all that remained. End of story. Oh my lord. Right? It's so good. It's pretty good. And I think my acting skills... You're acting, you're fully, it was great. (laughs) If only I knew how to laugh like a child. Sadly, I can only cry like one. (laughs) Isn't it like, no, I don't know. It's like, Uh, we're about to make fools of ourselves because I'm about to do a full Tommy Pickles. (laughs) Please do it. I don't know how. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. That just sounds like deranged Mickey. I feel like my voice can get high enough to where I sound like a child just naturally, so... Mine can't. Okay, are you ready for mine? No, but I am, also. Okay, so what's interesting about this is I never use Reddit, but I recently, like, downloaded it and made an account and everything because I wanted to read... What is your name? Um... Let me double check because I use did a couple you, of different ones. Did you do the rap stuff. name generator? No. Like I told you to? Ah. It is. Let me see. You're no fun. I need to download it's the just, app though. It, it's Jessica T429. <laughs> it's nothing fancy. Lame. I need to change it, but give just wait. <laughs> so, okay, I found this wait. one. And... It was, it says it was uploaded August 2019, so it's newer. Yeah. And it was posted by Sarcasonomicon. Yeah, <laughs> I like under that Under r slash no sleep. So we got it from the same source. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Reddit, for coming in clutch. I will say this one is more of like a first person story. Ooh. So here we go. Okay. And scene. The, oh, the title is If You're Armed and at the Glenmont Metro, Please Shoot Me. <laughs> I'll shoot you a message if you want. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Ready? Yes. Make it a headshot. Shoot me in the temple, aiming slightly downwards. I need the bullet to travel the shortest possible distance through my brain before it hits my hippocampus. If I'm lucky, the sensation of the gunshot ripping through my skull will only last a few decades. I don't think that's how it works, but, you know. (laughs) As awful as this sounds, you'll be doing me an enormous favor. Death by a headshot as soon as possible is vastly different than the alternative. My ordeal started over 10,000 years ago at 10.15 this morning. I earn extra money by participating in drug trials. I'm a so-called healthy subject who takes experimental drugs to help assess side effects. Once it was a kidney drug. A few times it's been something for blood pressure or cholesterol. This morning, they told me the drug I took was a psychoactive substance intended to accelerate brain function. None of the drugs I had tested so far have ever done anything for me in the recreational sense. In other words, none of the drugs I've tested have given me a killer buzz or mellowed me out or anything. Maybe I've always ended up in the placebo group, but nothing I've tested has affected me at all. Today's drug was different. This stuff worked. They gave me a pill at 10.15 and told me to hang out in the waiting room until they called me back for some tests. Only about 30 minutes, the research assistant told me. I flopped onto the waiting room couch and read a few articles from a copy of Psychology Today that was sitting on the coffee table. They hadn't called me back when I finished the Psychology Today, so I picked up a U.S. news and I read it cover to cover. Then I read an old Scientific American. What was taking them so long? I sluggishly turned my head to look at the wall clock. It was only 10.23 a.m. I had read all three magazines in eight minutes. 
I remember thinking that this was going to be a long day. I was right. The waiting room had little bookshelf with some used hardcovers on it. When I stood up to walk to the bookshelf, it felt like my legs barely worked. It's not that they were weak, they were just slow. It took a full minute just to stand up off the couch and then another minute to take two steps to the bookcase. I scanned the old books on the shelves and picked out a copy of Moby Dick. My arms had the same problems as my legs. Just reaching one foot in front of me to grab the book took a long time. I actually got bored just waiting for my hand to reach the spine of the book. I slogged back to the couch and collapsed onto it in a slow-motion fall. They reminded me of the low-gravity hops of astronauts on the moon. I opened Moby Dick, slowly, and began reading. I started with, Call me Ishmael. And I got as far as Ahab throwing his pipe into the sea, which was all the way to friggin' chapter 30, before they called me back. How are you feeling? The research assistant asked me. I feel slow, I said. Actually, it's the other way around. Everything seems slow because you're so fast. But my legs, my arms, they're moving in slow motion. Your body seems like it's moving slowly because your brain is fast. Your brain is running 10 or 20 times faster than normal. You're thinking and perceiving reality at an accelerated pace. But your body is still constrained by the laws of biomechanics. Frankly, you're just moving faster than a normal person. She pantomimed a jogging motion. But your brain is running so much faster right now that even your fast walk seems very slow to you. I thought about my slow motion flop onto the waiting room couch. Even if my muscles had slowed down, my body would still react to gravity the same way. But in the waiting room, I even fell in slow motion. Slow muscles couldn't explain why gravity seemed weaker. My brain was going at warp 10. That's how I managed to read three magazines and the first 30 chapters of Moby Dick in 15 minutes. They ran a series of tests on me. The physical tests were fun. They made me juggle three balls, then four, then six. I had no problems keeping balls in the air just because they seemed to be moving so slowly. It was boring, frankly, waiting for each ball to move through its arc so I could watch it with my slow motion hands and toss it back into the air. They threw Cheerios in the air and I caught them with chopsticks. They dropped a handful of coins and I counted the total value before they hit the ground. The cognitive tests were less fun, but very illuminating. Finish a 50-word word search, three seconds. Solve an intricate maze drawn onto a poster-sized paper, two seconds. View a slideshow projected at 10 images per second and answer detailed questions about what I saw. 95% correct. They told me I measured over 250 on the Knopf scale. Apparently, that's deep into the, human, the superhuman range of thinking speeds. Then they sent me home. It'll wear off in a few hours, they said, which will seem like days to you. Try to use the res residual effects to get some work done. Catch up on work emails while you're still in high-speed mode. The ride home was horrible. It was only three metro stops, and in real-world time, it only took about 35 minutes. But in my drug-accelerated hypertime, it felt like days. Days. Just walking out of the medical research suite to the elevator seemed like it took an hour. I sprinted out of the office, willing my legs to push me faster, but the laws of biomechanics held me prisoner. As accelerated as my brain was, I couldn't do anything to make my legs work faster. The huge disconnect between my body and my mind made it extremely difficult to judge how and when to slow down, turn, or rotate my body. I had basically turned into a giant slow-motion spaz. I misjudged my speed and rammed into the wall by the elevator button at a pretty good speed. Even though I could see the wall coming at me, I couldn't make my finger outstretched to hit the elevator button, move away fast enough, and I jammed it against the wall. Hard. The pain was intense. If my brain had been running at regular speed, it probably only would have hurt for 30 seconds or so. But in my accelerated state, the intense pain seemed to last for half an hour, 45 minutes maybe. The elevator ride was horrible. It felt like I spent four or five hours just descending seven floors with nothing to look at but the interior of the elevator car. I sprinted to the metro station. 
I have to admit, this part was almost fun. Even though my body moved at what seemed to me a super slow speed, I could still carefully choose how and where to place my feet, swing my arms, and turn my torso. It only took a block or two to getting used to have a brain that ran two dozen times faster than my body. Then I basically sprint danced the rest of the way, twisting and juking between people on the sidewalk and dodging moving cars with inches, also known as minutes, of clearance. I spent an hour in my time frame descending into the subway and running to the platform. Endless tedium waiting the six minutes for the red line train to arrive. Although there was more to look at on the metro platform than inside the elevator, it was still intensely boring. I should have stolen that copy of Moby Dick. The red line train roared into the station in slow motion. The normally high-pitched squeal of its brakes was frequency shifted by my high-speed mind to a long, low tone, like a monotone tuba solo. It wasn't just the squealing subway train that was three octaves lower than normal. All sound was slowed to the point of near inaudibility. Voices were gone, shifted below the threshold frequency of my hearing. I did manage to hear a screaming baby on my subway car. Her shrieks slowed to sound like whale songs. Sharp sounds like car horns and trucks bouncing over potholes were low, muddied roars like distant thunder. Back at the research offices, I could still hear and communicate with the research staff, but now verbal communication with anyone would be impossible. The effects of the drug were still intensifying. I spent what seemed like days on that effing red line train. Days listening to the whale song of the screaming baby and the tuba solo of the brakes. Where ordinary voices were frequency shifted out of my audio range, smells didn't seem to be affected. I never became nose blind to the body odor, the stench of the train's brakes, and the melange of farts and other smells wafting through the metro car. I was giving you a second to laugh because I knew you wanted to. I, it's just, I like the the description of it because it's just very childlike, but also, I don't know, it gives a sense of humor to this horrible. Yeah, how he's, he's super in, super serious about all of this, and they're like, "It smells like farts, <laughs> right?" It's very Deadpool esque. Uh. Like, the situation feels like it would be in a Deadpool movie. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, sorry. I have to get back in the... No, it's good. I finally got back to my apartment. Sprinting through my open door and into the front hall at full speeds was like a slow, relaxing drift down a lazy river. I was relieved to be home. At least I had stuff I could do there. I picked up the book I was reading, A Hundred Years of Solitude, and I finished it. Despite turning the pages so quickly that I tore many of them, it seemed like most of the time I spent finishing the book was spent on page turning and not actually reading. Three minutes had passed since I got home. I tried surfing the internet. My God, it takes a long time for computers to boot these days. But it was too frustrating slow. Hours, seemingly, to load each new page in a fraction of a second to read it. A hundred articles in my newsfeed read in just three more minutes done. I dipped into my pile of yet-to-be-read books and finished two more. Four more minutes had passed. I decided to try to sleep off the remaining effects of the drug. Unfortunately, whatever part of my mind is responsible for perception, the part that's been accelerated to hyperspeeds by the drug, isn't the same as the part that governs sleep. Despite being awake for what I perceived as days, my physical brain still thought it was 1.25 p.m. I was not ready for sleep. Nevertheless, I tried to sleep. I walked to my bedroom, a slow 45-minute drift through my apartment, and flung myself into bed, lazily falling like a feather onto the mattress. I closed my eyes and laid there for hours and hours, 10 minutes of reality time, before giving up. Sleep would not come. I was facing what was going to feel like days or maybe even weeks of being trapped in a slow-motion prison. So I took an Ambien. The sensation of the pill and the splash of water I used to swallow it sliding my throat was sickening. A lump that blocked my breathing, moving like a slug down my esophagus. I read a book. Ten minutes had passed. I read another. Eighteen minutes since I took the Ambien. I threw the book across the room in disgust at my situation. 
The book slowly pirouetted and spun through the air like a leaf blowing in the breeze. It hit the wall with a long, faint rumble, the only sound I had heard for what seemed like hours, then drifted to the floor like a flip-flop sinking in a swimming pool. <laughs> what a simile. <laughs> that darn chancla. The chancla. The force of gravity hadn't changed since I took the pill. The law of physics were the same. It was just my perception of time that had gone wackadoo. This meant I could use the speed things seemed to fall as a way of judging the effects of the drug. Based on how long it took the book to drift to the floor, I estimated the effects of the drug were still intensifying. I read a magazine. I turned on the television. I clearly saw each frame of video like I was watching a slideshow. Frustrated, I turned the television off. I read some more. The first two books of Churchill's A History of the English-Speaking Peoples. Not exactly a light read. Frankly, I hated it, but given the hours of tedium it would take to go get another book off my bookshelf, just sitting on the couch and reading Churchill was better, or at least less worse. It had now been 35 minutes since I took the Ambien. I lay down on the couch and closed my eyes. Time passed. I inhaled an hours-long process. Time passed. I exhaled for more hours. Sleep would not come. I needed a new plan. I decided to go back to the offices where they gave me the drug. Maybe they would have something that could counteract its effects or at least something to knock me out until it wore off. I exited my apartment as fast as possible, taking hours in my time frame to do so. I didn't even bother locking the door. It would have taken too long. Down the stairs, it's faster than the elevator if you run. Through the lobby and out the front door and onto the street. These few things felt like a long day at the office. Sprinting down the street, dancing and weaving between pedestrians with what must have looked to them superhuman dexterity, down the first flight of stairs at the metro, across the landing another hour, then onto the second flight of stairs, and that's when the ambient hit me. The ambient didn't make me sleepy, not at all. Instead, it must have had a severe cross-reaction with the experimental drug I took this morning. I was bounding down the second flight of stairs, moving in slow motion, but still making perceptible process. Then wham, everything stopped. The dull roar of the street and metro noises ceased, replaced by the most perfect silence I've ever experienced. My downward motion seemed to completely freeze. Before the ambient kicked in, my perception of time was maybe a few hundred times slower than real time. After the ambient took effect, time moved thousands of times slower. Every second seemed like days to me. Even just moving my eyes to focus on a new point was like an impossibly slow scroll across my visual field. Over the course of the afternoon, I learned how to walk, run, and jump when my mind ran hundreds of times faster than my body. But with another four or five orders of magnitude of slowdown caused by the ambient, body control was almost impossible. I fell on the stairs. Even though I was all but frozen in mid-step, controlling my muscles was impossible. I commanded my foot forward for hours, then backward for hours more when it seemed like I would miss the step. Hours attempting to adjust the angle of my ankle and then readjusting when it felt wrong. Despite these efforts, I rolled my ankle on the next step. The pain wasn't at all mitigated by the slowness. Hours of increasing strain on my bent ankle. The nerve signals that send pain to the brain must work differently than the nerves in my ear. Sonic energy was spread out over time, diluted until it was imperceptible. Pain flowed into my brain, undiluted by the change in my perception of time. Hours and hours of increasing weight on my turned ankle turned into hours of increasing pain upon increasing pain. I pitched forward, my high-speed mind completely unable to control my slow-speed body. I drifted downward for days, managing to rotate my torso enough to keep my head from impacting the ground first. I eventually landed on my right shoulder. At first, the impact wasn't even noticeable. Then I felt a slight pressure in my shoulder as it came in contact with the ground. The pressure grew, bringing increasing pain for hour upon hour. My shoulder finally gave out, popping out of its socket with an endless, sickening tug. I came to a stop. Days later, crumpled onto the ground, staring at the ceiling. The pain in my shoulder still screaming with the intensity of a fresh, violent injury. I had plenty of time to think during that fall. Every second seemed like days to me, then each minute of real-world time would be like years. Even if the drug cleared out of my system in the next two or three hours, 
This nightmare would seem to last centuries. By the time I hit the ground, I had a plan. I would somehow get to the platform and throw myself in front of a train. I twisted onto my hands and knees, days of my dislocated shoulder crying for relief. I misjudged my rotation and rolled onto my back. I tried again, collapsing onto my face as I tried to figure out how to control a body that moved slower than grass grew. Weeks of effort were finally rewarded with success. I stabilized on my hands and knees. If just getting on all fours was this difficult, I figured that walking or running was completely out of the question, so I crawled. I crawled through the metro tunnel. The dumb looks on the faces in the crowd lingered on me for weeks. I crawled under the turnstile and onto the escalator. The escalator spilled the rush hour crowd onto the platform at the same speed that a glacier spills ice into the sea. I looked over the crowded platform during my interminable downward ride. The train status sign said the next train wouldn't arrive for 20 minutes. 20 minutes was like a year for me. I'd have to spend a year on the metro platform waiting to die. I crawled off of the escalator and during days of stupid expressions on the commuters' faces, I crawled a few feet to a concrete bench and curled next to it, trying to find a position to lessen the pain in my shoulder. Then, my problem with time got worse. Impossibly worse. The massive slowdown on the stairs was just the beginning of the interaction between the experimental drug and the Ambien. It finally hit me when I was curled up by the bench. I blinked. Years of darkness followed. Sound was already gone, and with my blink, sight was gone as well. All that existed was the pain from my fall. My hyper-accelerated mind wasted no time in compensating for lack of sensory input. Voices spoke to me. They sung to me in languages that never existed. Patterns and faces and colors came to me and went in my mind's eye. I recalled my whole life and imagined living another. I forgot English. I settled into a profound despair. I spoke to God. I became God. I imagined a new universe and brought it to life with my thoughts, then did it all again and again. My eyes opened with geologic slowness. A faint glow. Weeks. A slit of light. Weeks. A narrow view of the metro platform, ankles of the commuters near me, and an advertisement on the opposite wall. I extracted my phone from my pocket, a project that spanned decades. How can I even explain this boredom? The pain in my shoulder is nothing compared to the boredom. Even though I can think I have thought hundreds of times already, the views of ankles and advertisements never change. Never. The boredom is so intense it's tangible, like a solid object of metal and stone wedged into my skull. Inescapable. What are my options? If I crawl and fall onto the tracks without an oncoming train to crush me, I won't die. I'll experience even more pain from the four-foot fall, but I'll likely be rescued by some do-gooder on the platform and unable to act when the train finally does arrive. My suffering in that scenario will be endless. So I wait for the train so I can throw myself under it. When it finally hits me, I will experience the pain of being ripped to pieces for centuries until finally the light of my life leaves my brain and my experience ends. I've lived hundreds of lifespans at the foot of this bench. I'm far older in spirit than any human who has ever lived. Most of my life experience has been a snapshot of pain huddled on the floor of a subway platform with an unchanging view of ankles and advertisements. This post is my plan B, my Hail Mary, my long shot. I've spent lifetimes typing and posting this message in the hope that someone will read it and become convinced that my suffering must end. Someone on this platform right now. Someone who will find the man curled under the bench, the man who crawled down the escalator and kill him as swiftly as possible. A bullet to the temple. If you're armed and at the Glenmont Metro, please shoot me. And that's it. That's awful. <laughs> so, uh... Whoever created that drunk is awful. <laughs> also, who let them leave? <laughs> I, I don't know, but this, like, gives who? me anxiety. Yeah. Sorry, my... Well, I'm sure. It's getting That's loud cool. because its fan is going. Um, so that was my story. It gave me anxiety, but I thought it was really good. I hope I did an okay job reading it. It was really well done. Yeah. I mean, Creepypasta hasn't been the same for a really long time, and that one was a good, a really good break in the silence. 
My collarbone hurts. <laughs> of all things. No, that's the thing that hurts me if I like get drunk or if I'm scared. My collarbone hurts. That's very strange. That's me. My sternum pops whenever I stretch. Yeah, no, not me. <laughs> so do you think his pain sensories just completely diluted the pain of the shoulder no i think it made it worse because his brain is working so much faster so he it's like when you touch something like you feel it a little bit then you feel the pressure but it's fractions upon fractions so he's slowly feeling the pain until it reaches the highest point and stays there but my only question would be you know how sometimes you're able to just not think about the pain and distract yourself from it. Yeah. I don't see why that couldn't be an option. I don't know. Well, the thing... Obviously, what it I doesn't think with, matter. That's not the point. Yeah. But I would say he probably can't distract himself because he's already thought through all the thoughts that he can think in that moment. Right. That's what I meant. Yeah. Like, that's not the point of the story. Yeah. That's awful. Yeah. I'm still shook that they allowed him out of the hospital. <laughs> like of all the things right. that I'm stuck on <laughs> so he took I just want to make because you did glitch out a couple times and that's why we're using this new form of recording but right he took a well, he took one drug and then he took another or was the only thing that he took in this entire experience was the Ambien no he took an experimental drug at the beginning that slowed everything down and then he took the Ambien to try mm-hmm. to go to sleep, but all it did was make things a thousand times worse. <gasps> oh, okay. I get it now. Okay. Th- no. Okay, that's a stupid thing on him. <laughs> he just wanted to sleep Don't it mix off. Drugs. I get it. No. <laughs> now I'm just mad at him for making a dumb choice. So, th- uh, thanks for bearing with us, and I hope that this Frankie episode um, meets you in good faith, and that you also enjoyed these stories like we did. Yeah! Um, and hopefully we'll come at you live again next week. So, even though we're going to go on a bi-weekly uh, pattern, you'll still get a week of our research and stories here pretty soon. Whoop, whoop. So I hope you enjoy it. We will send another yeah. cool, normal episode soonish. So, yeah, until next time, we will see you soon. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye.